Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Absolutely. Leave it be. Of course. In high fidelity. (laughs) Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Okay, if you're a fan of the show and you've actually been listening to me doing this for almost six years now, you would think at some point I would learn to not talk before the blog radio guy talks. Apparently, that's just never going to sink in with me. But here we are, Geek Block Heads. Um, Pause this Justice League trailer. Unless that's Aquaman, I am glad somebody finally got Aquaman right. I'm sick of him looking like a 1960s hygiene film, and this guy is fantastic. All right, today is a fightright.net edition of the Geek Block. If you have not visited Fightright, F-I-G-H-T-W-R-I-T-E.net, please do. It's a blog that teaches writers a little bit about fighting to make their action sequences more realistic. Some weeks it's about weaponry, sometimes it's about the body, sometimes fighting techniques, sometimes it's just about psychology or just the science of how the body works. I know I did one on what happens to the body biologically after death. So definitely check that out, and I've got some great videos on there, too. My guest today is someone that I am completely confident in saying without whom there absolutely would not be a fightright.net. He is my jujitsu coach, my street defense coach, self-defense, Muay Thai, weapons coach, and I'm probably missing something, and he is my dear friend from Ground Dwellers, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Spring, Texas, Eddie Avalar. How are you today, coach? I'm doing good. Doing real good. All right. I know you don't generally do this, but go ahead and tell people what you're a little bit about your training background. <laughs> okay. So I guess we can go back to when I was young uh, and home. Uh, parents weren't able to afford for me to do any training. So I did training in my backyard. Kind of like what a lot of kids do to where I would make my own self-made weapons and things like such. But I ended up going off to college and then right after college, uh, was able to, to find a job and had my own money, so I was able to afford to pay for my own training. And so I started training in a system, uh, a Kung Fu system in Missouri. And uh, I guess it transferred to Houston, and the, there was the same academy in Houston, so I just continued to train in that. Received my bike belt status. I uh, kept training, kept training, kept training. And then, like, uh, 1999, I decided to start training in Jiu-Jitsu, so that added to my ground game. Uh, along with uh, jiu-jitsu, because I've been doing that for a while now, but um, I started taking judo as well, as well as Filipino martial arts training. So I did some cage fighting in 2005 and 2006. And back then, there was no need to necessarily do amateur you know, fighting, so I just went ahead and went straight pro. Had four professional fights uh, with a record of three and one loss. So, uh, what made you go to jiu-jitsu? How did, how, what made you see jiu-jitsu? Because you said you started back in 1999, is that correct? In jiu-jitsu, correct. Yeah, um, you know, jiu-jitsu was wasn't very was... popular in 99. So what made you go to it? You know, in 95 or so, so I guess what the first UFC came out and Royce Gracie right. was actually doing jiu-jitsu and everybody was infatuated right. with it. And so 
Right. I was still training Kung Fu and I was getting ready for a test. And so um, I was visiting this academy on 1960 here in Houston and um, I was going to utilize their gym for me to get my training because my instructors were still, my main instructors were still in Joplin, Missouri. So I had to travel to go for tests. So okay. while I was here training, the idea was to use the martial arts academy that had the uh, Kung Fu atmosphere so that I could continue to train. And you know, the agreement with the instructor was that I could use the facility to do my forms, my katas, my training that I needed for my test, at the same time learning their style. And then what ended up happening is, is that they, he was going to have, or he had a jiu-jitsu program that was on Fridays only. And what he had told me is that if I partook in the seminar that weekend for $100, that I could start taking the jiu-jitsu classes on Friday nights. And so I thought, let's go ahead and try that. And so I just ended up doing that. It was only every Friday that I was training. This was like October of 99. And um, after about two months of training, I ended up catching the instructor in an arm bar. He got upset at me. Ooh. But then he told me, he pulled me off to the side and said, hey, look, man. He goes, I've taught you what I've known. And you obviously took a liking to this. If you really want to learn jujitsu, you should find another academy because I really can't take you any further than what I've showed you. And so he was at least straight up wow. with me. And uh, so that's what I did. I ended up finding another place to train. And so that's how I ended up being that- jujitsu. But like I say, it gave me the great opportunity to um, fill in the gaps because the whole concept in Kung Fu was at all costs to avoid going to the ground. It wasn't where you wanted to go. And then, right. you know, I was persuaded to think that that's what we wanted. We didn't want it to go to the ground. But they never explained to me why we didn't want it to go to the ground. And once I started learning Jiu-Jitsu, I realized uh, ground fighting is, you know, dangerous. And that's why we didn't want to go Yes. Yeah. You know, I've I've been to several conferences and somebody always brings up that 75%, I've heard a hundred different percentages on this, 75% of fights go to the ground. I don't know where people are getting that percentage. And I'm not sure what they mean by going to the ground. Do they mean, okay, you get hit and you go to the ground or you get tackled or go to the ground? What would you say is you know, how often does a fight end up on a ground? Fights, first of all, generally aren't as long as people think they are, would you say? No, that's absolutely true. A fight should really only be like three seconds long. It shouldn't be a long fight. Now, there, it, it, I don't know how they're coming up with the exact number of what the percentage is, but when I tell people, I usually say over half of all fights go to the Right, and that's I a can lot see that. Yeah. Say, you know, 55, 60%, 70%, 80%. However, there was right. a study, uh, some, some guy went on YouTube and he started looking for all these fights that were like posted on YouTube. And he was trying to study how many of the fights of the videos that he would watch, how many, how many of them would go to the ground. And so this is how he got his percentage number. However, he had to categorize it because there's different ways of how a fight can go to the ground. Maybe right. you trip and stumble, or maybe they trip and stumble, or maybe somebody throws you down. Somebody, you throw somebody down and they latch onto you. You punch somebody, they fall to the ground. You follow up or you get punched. So there's all these different variances of, how the fight goes to the ground. So that's why I just say over half of all fights go to the ground instead of giving the exact percentage number. Right. I I completely agree with that. And you, a point that you made in self-defense was you want to stay on your feet as much as possible. Explain that. Um, You know, going to the ground, like I said, is is extremely dangerous. There's there's a lot of uh, variances, meaning there could be glass on the ground. And if you fall and let's say you base with your hand and now you've got a piece of glass in your in your palm or you land on your back and there was a boulder there a pebble and it just hits the wrong spot and uh, now you're really really hurt so uh, the other thing too is like when I do teach self-defense from from the ground is I want to get back up on my feet because right. that's how I can run away I can't run away on my knees you know turn into a baby right. crawl 
but you're not going to get far very fast. Right. So uh, we want to be able to stay standing on our feet. And, uh, and especially with like multiple opponents, you know, this is one of right. one type situation. Uh, maybe you can control somebody on the ground, but it's not necessarily the place you want to be. You definitely want to get up and be able to, to turn around at any point and run away. Right. I think your view is much more limited on the ground as well. I mean, whether you're facing the ground or your back is on the ground, your view is much more, you know, much more limited than if you're able to completely turn your head side to side and see who's coming at you from a bunch of different sides. Okay. Yeah, that I makes mean, me think. Yeah, definitely. And then the, and then the ground also becomes a, a, a barrier. You know, you can't go any right. further because you're, you're, you're on the ground. You're back to the ground. You can't back up anymore. Right. right. Okay, that brings me to our first question. I uh, sent a shout out on Facebook for some questions. And the first one has to do with what you just mentioned, multiple opponents. This is from Heather Haverstadt. She asks, how many people could a really experienced fighter, I love how they always put really experienced fighter on there, who knows what that actually means, take on and still win without straining credulity? You know, I think of the Jack Reacher movie immediately where he's surrounded by the guys. Yeah. So what would you say? Um, it, it's really. That's so hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, wow. Yeah. It is a tough question only because it's going to come down to what are we considering it to be a fight? Just like you said right. in the Jack Reacher movie, you know, he tells them there's five of you, but there's only going to be three against one because by the right. time you see me killed, you know, like mess up the third person, the fourth person right. is going to go, never mind, I'm taking off, right? So how many does it take? I don't know how many it's right. going to take. You know, there's like a joke. I, I, I don't know. There's like five guys and uh, uh, I don't know how many of them, you know, I can beat, but I know how many we're going to try. You know, I, I know how many right. guys were there, but it's hard to say. Would it take all five? Would it take all ten? Um, it, it's hard to say, but, you know, when it comes to like stories, like in movies and, and what have you, you would definitely want to give that image that your guy is the ultimate guy and that he can take on an army and still survive. So it, it depends too. What does he have as, as a fighter? Right. Am I empty handed? Do I have a knife? Do I have a gun? Do I have a stick? What is in my hands? What do I have as an extension? So um, it's going right. to depend. I mean, the more people that you put up against somebody and he goes through, then, uh, you know, that's going to look amazing. There's a movie by Jeff Speakman. It's an older movie. It's called the perfect weapon. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. But uh-huh. he goes through a, a line of people. I, it could have been like 20 to 30 people. And he goes through and he had a pair of sticks. That's all he had. Uh, it's a real good fight scene. So it definitely, you know, and I good, think it, you know. Right. And I think it depends on the mob that's attacking you, too. I mean, I think because, I mean, sometimes an entire group of people will jump on you and knock you to the ground and they all attack at once. But then sometimes the mob like, you know, Jack Reacher-esque, they kind of stand around and posture and see who's going to go first. And if they are standing around and posturing to see who's going first, you're going to have more of a chance than if they all just, you know, descend on you like crows, which they can do. Yeah. Okay. She also wants to know, (laughs) what are some dirty tricks that can be used to incapacitate somebody without permanently injuring them? Okay. For the record, if you're on the street, there's no such thing as a dirty trick. It is all legal. So, right. So (laughs) what, uh, what is some way, a way that to stop somebody that's, you know, very efficient in stopping them, but it's not going to permanently injure them. And you know what people always ask about but you know you don't want to permanently injure them that seems to be a pretty big barrier for people yeah 
Uh, I guess psychologically, we don't want to be the person that's right. actually, you know, plunging somebody's eye out of their socket. However, right. I've, I've talked to you about, or I've taught you that, that the body is weak. It accepts no punishment at all. Right. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing that, that we could stop and think about it is a pinch. If you can pinch somebody uh, that really, really, you know, tries to get somebody up on their tiptoes and, and makes them stop and sometimes even, you know, listen to, to consider what you have to say. So I would go with pinching. Um, we've also talked about the uh, concept of uh, grip and rip. So right. I would even like using all four fingers in my palm to pinch your tricep as I hold you. Um, right. Definitely going to get your attention and make you want to stop. And now if I start to twist it, that makes it even, you know, worse. And eventually you'll end up, you know, being bruised. Uh, and again, right. because the body is fragile. So I would say pinching. Right. Uh, but then we start looking at other stuff like uh, pressure points, like, you know, like a style of dim mock where you start learning where to hit the body and it actually can, you know, collapse people to the ground just by slight touches. Right. So it just depends on right. what type of training the individual has. Right. You know, the the pinches, I think people don't really, when he's talking about grabbing the tricep, it, yes, the skin, but also you can grab that tricep muscle and it really hurts. I cannot stress to you how much that hurts. And I'm glad that you brought up pressure points because a guy asked, Josh Hart asked, are nerve strikes, and I think he means pressure points, really as effective uh -huh. as they are shown to be in movies. First of all, tell what a pressure point is. Okay, pressure point is just meaning to be a point in the body that's actually connected to the central nervous system. And what we're trying to do, deal with here is confusing the body. If I touch you in a certain spot and your body recognizes that I touched you, all those neurons and sensors or whatever have to pay attention to what I just touched. And so, therefore, other parts of your body are going to be vulnerable. So, usually pressure points is going to work with a two-touch. It's not just a single touch. However, there are some. Like if I were to jab my thumb in your cardiac artery to where I, I know the angle to have and the distance to go in, it will, your ankles will give out on you and you'll hit the ground. Uh, there's even been where my instructor actually in a technique would, would make sure that we he spun us around and he would barely kick us in the calf. And just by kicking into the calf, he would just collapse and hit the ground. So they are true. They, they, they really do exist. And again, it comes down to the study of the body. You know, I know you said earlier right. that you had a... Uh, uh, you know, an episode where you talked about the body and it is about right. learning the body. So martial arts is right. yeah, it's about fighting, but the more you know about the human body and how it acts and reacts, the better you're going to be able to be at it. Right. I, I've tried to explain that to people that even if you personally don't know how to punch well, if you understand why a punch works, that that really yeah. helps. And, it, and it's not so much knowing the technique as much as, hey, this is why it hurts, because you can't always pull off a technique perfectly. It's not always going to line up for you like that. But if you know what makes it work, you like in jujitsu, you may not get the sweep perfectly. But if you understand what makes it work, you can make up your own sweep on the sly. Give an yeah. example of some. Uh, tell us some a few pressure points. Well, you have the one like I said, the cardiac artery, the one that's in the main neck. Right. Um, uh, it's connected right to the head, stopping blood flow. Um, like I said, the one in the cast is there. The body is just full of points. Uh, somebody that studies right. like acupuncture is actually going to be right. perfect because, uh, oh, like, yeah. for instance, your, your chiropractor, my chiropractor knows all the points, but he uses them in a different aspect. He uses them to heal people, not to hurt people. So when right. I teach, like, for instance, ankle locks, um, I don't, I'm not necessarily fond of going for ankle locks, but I will do them because I know them. And if it's there, okay, it's in my face, I might as well take it. 
But I learned how to do the ankle locks in order to know, well, he has to do step one, step two, and then finish with step three. But if I can block him at step two, he doesn't get to step three, I'm going to be able to escape. So you have to know when to escape. So right. the body is just full of meridians and points. And it's just a matter of learning them all. I mean, there, I mean, if I pulled out a chart and showed you, you'd be like, wow, that's a lot of pressure points. I mean, you're going to have stuff um, that's in your armpits and your pecs all over right. your body. Your body's full of them. I'm making a note right now to do a chart of pressure points for fight right. That's a very good. Okay, Jesse yeah. Roberts wants to know, and this is a this is a good question. If I want a character to be out of it for a longer period of time than a couple minutes, what are some good ways to do this that doesn't cripple the character for life? Again, people want to hurt people enough for you know their own convenience, but they don't want it any permanent damage. Oh, and she said, okay, uh, and she does, it's either her or somebody else says, you know, that she doesn't want to whack them over the head because she doesn't think they would recover well from that. You know, if you hit the body anywhere hard, and I did a post on this, if you hit the body anywhere hard enough, it's going to mess with your blood pressure enough that you're going to, it's going to knock you out. But, uh, you know, what are some, I don't know. Okay, when you punch somebody out and they hit the floor, about how long are they out from a punch? Um, it's going to depend, you know, what type of damage is done because we could have concussions to where the brain is rattled inside the skull. Um, mm -hmm. then obviously, you know, you have people say there's going to be two, two, uh, what is it? Two hits and me hitting you, you hit right. the floor. You hit the floor. Hitting, yeah. hitting the floor is, is not gentle. You know, you could get hurt no. hitting the floor by itself. And this is why when we do train and we do, uh, you know, try to knock people out by hitting pressure points and stuff, we have to be careful that when they hit the ground, you know, that, that they're going to hit it in a gentle way. And in judo, one of the things that we do is we learn how to fall. That's one of the first things you need to learn is how to fall because you're yes. going to be thrown left and right. So right. Um, to, to, let somebody, to make somebody go to sleep, you know, the, usually the question I get is, well, how long does it take? And it could take anywhere from yeah. three seconds to seven seconds with a proper choke, like a rear naked choke right. um, or a, a lapel choke or something. It can vary from three to seven seconds. A pressure point choke is immediate. As soon as we hit it and we hit it right, the guys collapse. And they could be out for 30 seconds. They could be out for a minute. But it gets scary because when the body uh, goes into the shock, you know, it, it starts to convulse. It doesn't just, like, lay down like I'm going to take a nap. And so the body starts to shake and roll. Eyes start to roll in the back of people's head. And it's scary. And so you, when you're wanting to wake somebody up, uh, you have to do it, you know, confidently knowing that this is okay. This is what happens. But if there's nobody there to wake them up, they might not ever wake up. They could go into the shock and go into coma and stay in coma and, and pass away. So even like when uh, accidentally or on purpose sometimes, I guess it happens in class, when people put other people to sleep, we lay them down gently because if I just let that individual fall, they could hurt their neck, they could hurt their spine, and they could be ruined forever. But we gently lay them down, grab their feet, lift their feet up, let the blood flow back down to, towards the head so that they can wake up again. So how long What's the it? difference? I, I wouldn't want them to be out for more than two minutes. You, you want to wake okay. up before two minutes. You know, I thought about if you just want to incapacitate somebody, if you give them a good hard liver shot, that's going to allow you plenty of time to get away. But, I mean, how long does it take to recover from a liver shot? How, how long does that – I've never taken a liver shot. I don't know what that pain's like. Yeah, it's it's going to vary from person to person, and it's going to vary from punch. I mean, we, we talk about hitting to something and through something. If I hit you with a through punch, it's going to penetrate. It's going to go inside, and, and then you have, you know, other different styles that teach you how to break up the second brick or the third brick down and, and not the first brick. 
Um, and so we're talking about shock waves then. And so it just depends with what you get hit with, uh, how blunt of the force, you know. So there's a lot of variances. So it's hard to say. It, it really yeah. is. Yeah, I could, I could hit you. Uh, I could hit you in the heart and have your heart right. you know, get out of rhythm, and then now all of a sudden you're right. going to pass away from that. You know, we have strikes to where we will jab a finger in the armpit and hit a pituitary sac and, and rupture it. Oh, that's and right. And later Ugh. on, it all swells up and you pass away because of the infection. So there, there's, there's you know, things that, that happen. Like, a lot of times, I know, like, my, my main instructor, uh, C. Joe, he, he shared a story with me once to where there was an automobile accident, and they called him and asked him, hey, can you come check this out because this guy passed away in this automobile accident, but there's nothing wrong with him. We don't know what happened here and there. And, and so... He went and he looked at the individual and he was able to determine that the steering wheel was what caused the damage. And it was actually internal damages. And, and so then by the time they did the autopsy, they were able to see all that. But um, right off the bat, they just didn't know what would have happened when he had passed away. But so it just depends on, you know, that was accidental. But I don't know. It, it just, there's so many variances though. There is so many variances. It's, really Something hard, to that say, I, right. it's hard to say what's really going to take somebody out and not maim them and not kill them. Um, it's like asking, you know, if somebody needs CPR and I do it for two minutes, should I give up? No, you probably shouldn't. You probably still be doing CPR on an individual right. until the proper medics come. So, right. Explain the difference in being knocked out with a punch and being uh, knocked out with a choke. Okay, so being knocked out with a punch is going to be more of the body protecting itself as to saying, hey, this is trouble. You need to go to sleep because um, this is too much pain. And so it's a pain thing. Uh, if I hit you like in the, on the jawline with, and then, you know, kind of like tweak the mastoid, it's going to shock the system enough to make you go to sleep. And another mechanism that we have built in us is that you'll probably forget those last 20 seconds before you got punched. It happens a lot in automobile accidents also. You can't yeah. remember what happened. Like, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And so that's also right. a safety mechanism that we have built in. So uh, anything that, that's causing extreme pain is going to have the body shut down. And, and that's how a punch is knocking somebody out, whether it's to the liver or to, to the mastoid or to the side of the head. A getting uh, choked out is more of a blood flow restriculation to, to the brain. So if you can restrict uh, the blood flow by blocking the cardiac artery, there's not enough oxygen, not enough blood getting to the brain, the brain shuts down. And so it, you kind of go to sleep and, and some people do snore. Uh, I usually always see the convulsions, but uh, yeah. it's just a matter of waking that person up within two minutes. After two minutes, it's right. trouble. I'm not saying they're going to pass away right at two minutes. Right. But it's going to become, right. become more problems. The brain, the brain going without blood and oxygen for two minutes is not a good idea. And so we hear right. people doing it going, hey, I want to do it. Do it to me. Hey, do it to me again. Do it to me again. It's not a good idea. You know, I've never been put to sleep. I've always been smart enough or, you know, uh, uh, maybe scared enough to, to tap out in time. Right. Um, and then people are like, well, why is it dangerous? Well, I could have a clogged artery and not know it. And somebody chokes me out. And now there's all this buildup pressure. And then that piece of cholesterol ends up in my heart. And, you know, I pass away from that. So it's not something right. that, that should be practiced. Like, go ahead and put me out. I want to build a tolerance to get put out. You're not going to build a tolerance. So don't, right. don't practice that. Don't try to be the guy that wants to get put out all the time. Right. And And if you're not familiar with martial arts and what we're talking about when we describe a choke we're not talking about grabbing someone around their neck and pressing down on their windpipe that's not what we're choking talking about explain why what kind of t choke we're talking about and why it works yeah. 
Um, the, the choke we're talking about is more to where if you could visualize me being behind uh, my opponent and I'm wrapping my arm over their neck, I want my bicep to hit uh, the right side of the cardiac artery to where my forearm, the elbow is going to be right underneath their chin, and my forearm is going to be on the left side of the cardiac artery, and I'm, I'm pinching both cardiac arteries. It is not a, it is a blood choke. It is not an oxygen or an air uh, choke. So the other choke that we would be talking about is if somebody's reaching in front of you and clasping with both hands and both thumbs are actually pinching the larynx. This is actually right. more of a rip. The, uh, right. the esophagus is actually lined with mucus. And so if you have, if you crush it and it touches and it flattens out, it will stay stuck together. And so this, for, uh, this is where you would have to know how to do a tracheotomy, um, be able to stab down towards the lower part of the neck and, uh, you know, create like a, a breathing apparatus, like a straw right. or, or a pen or something. So different types of chokes right. for sure. Uh, in jiu-jitsu, the temperature yeah. that we're talking about is more of a blood choke. We're just trying to stop blood right. from going to the brain. Right. I'm not trying to okay. stop the esophagus. Right. Um, you know, if the esophagus does get stuck together, is the tracheotomy your only option? Can you pinch it? I've always wondered that. Can you pinch it enough to get it unstuck? You can pinch it, but not to get unstuck. Once it's broke, it's broke. Okay. It's going to have to have surgery. Okay. Uh, almost I like see. A, uh, uh, a cast. Be, I mean, you can, you can, like, if you accidentally hit somebody and bam, they can't breathe and they give you the arm choking signal, you can reach down there and pinch it. But as soon as you let it go, it's going to collapse again. And it's okay. Stick. So you would need so to hold on to it. You would have it. to hold that until the paramedics yeah. come. And now, if this guy's somebody trying to take your life and he had a knife or a gun and, and then you hit him in the throat and then you want to be like, Mr. Knife, and go, man, I didn't mean to kill this guy. And you reach down and now you're saving his life. Next thing you know, is he has his knife in his hand still and he's over here stabbing you. So it's like, man, right. you know. So at yeah. the same time, you know, it's important for us to know how, kind of like I was talking about, the chiropractor learns how to fix the body as to where a martial artist is learning how to destroy the body. We need to know both. So along with learning martial arts, one needs to learn how to do first aid and maybe even first aid plus beyond first aid. Yes. Right. Okay. Jump in categories here. Becky Metcalf would like to know about a sword versus a shorter blade. Um, how would the shorter blade combat that? My first thought is, how big is the sword to begin with? So a sword versus a short blade. So we're not talking about it like a two-handed claymore. Let's say that we're talking about, you know, like a one, one that can be wielded one-handed. All right. And then you have another person with a knife. Explain how the person with the knife can defend against that sword and, per, you know, perhaps de-arm de that person. Okay. So um, we have to stop and think about, well, the variances as in, how trained is the individual with the longsword? Does he know right. anything at all? How trained right. is the guy that just has the blade? Um, let's say they're equally trained and let's say they're advanced players. Uh, as the advanced player, I would still be waiting for that backswing. So in other words, if they do that forward swing, in order for them to come on that backswing, and it, again, it's independent on how heavy their sword is, how fast can they return right. the backswing? So that's when I would jam up and I would be up against them side by side. They no longer have that reach they once had. So now right. it's uh, uh, the field of a small weapon. And so I had the small weapon. I'm jammed inside and I'm able to do any cuts that I need. So it's a right. timing thing. Timing is going to come in very important. Knowing when to right. go. It's kind of like a right. jump rope when you had like, not double dutch, but you had two people holding a long rope and they start swinging the rope. And you have to know when to jump in. You jump in too early, bam, it hits you. You jump in too late, it hits you again. You jump in at the right time and, and that's what you want. So same thing with this type right. of a fight. 
Yeah, and it's also helpful to know that when you are swinging a long sword, you don't just swing down and then swing up. You, you kind of want to keep your momentum going. I think you what you told me like a an infinity uh, kind of sign. Yeah, you want to keep the momentum going like a sideways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you come right. down at an angle like an X. And what and what Eddie is saying is, you know, you start at the two o'clock and you're swinging down towards the seven o'clock. Well, once that arm passes over that person's body. Uh, that's when you jam and jam. Tell what jam means. Jam somebody. Jamming is just about being a, a near closer proximity. So where you're actually blocking their triceps. So their backswing is actually right. going to be blocked by your body now. Um, right. Right. And you can also jam oh. your hand up against their tricep and push it up against their body, which it looks like more of a, a better understanding of what a jam would be. You just jam their arms so they can't come back with a backswing. Right. Okay. Heidi Lindbergh wants to, oh my goodness, I get this question quite a bit. They want to pit a smaller bodied protagonist against a larger one. How can they do without do that without straining realism? It is very hard for people to understand how a smaller person can combat a larger person. It is very difficult. First of all, tell tell the uh, the pros of actually being a smaller person. Yes, there are a ton of negatives. We can all imagine the negatives. But tell what some of the pros are that people may not think about. I don't think there is any. Yes, <laughs> there is. I will kill you. <laughs> um, you know, we come back to where we were talking about the body not accepting any pain. It doesn't matter right. how big, how strong I am. A slap to the face is just as devastating from you as it would be from me. Um, if you learn properly how to put your body weight into something, a hundred yeah. pounds of forward movement is still a lot of weight from somebody. Yes, it is. So being small is one, okay, you have a smaller target. Um, yep. If I hunch over and try to make myself a smaller target, a smaller person is going to be able to make themselves even smaller. So therefore, uh, that's one main advantage is, is your target is a lot smaller. Um, the other thing is the fact is, is that people misunderstand, they misunderstand that because you're small, you're petite, is that you can't generate enough power to hurt. And that's not true. Right. Once again, the that's body the body will accept no type of punishment. It's fragile. The body is very fragile. And this is one of the things that I love when I, when I get to teach kids is because they get to come in and they start to learn, man, I could hurt somebody. I could really hurt somebody, mm -hmm. even though I'm a little kid. And so they start to understand that the body is fragile without me having to tell them the body is fragile. Sometimes right. they just need to hear that. People just don't, we don't realize. And it comes down to this. You can, you can take your, your right you know, hand and pinch your, your left forearm and go, wow, that hurts. That's the same type of pain that I'm going to feel. Now, maybe right. you have to pinch a little bit harder, but it's still pain. And nobody right. likes it. So. Right. Uh, a smaller person has every advantage to take out a larger person. And jujitsu, I think, is great for small people. Yes. Uh, I think it's great for women. You know, you find yourself in that position mm -hmm. a lot in, when women are being assaulted. So I think women should be learning jujitsu. And there's more men than there is than, than women in jujitsu. And I don't think it's like that in other arts. Uh, I could be wrong. But um, men seem to be the more aggressive, more I have to protect to where the women are more domicile, I guess. I, I'm not too sure exactly why that is. I would love to see more women training martial arts. And we always get the questions from the ladies. It's like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if he pulls my ponytail? What if he's doing this? And I'm like, slap him, pinch him, you know, hurt him. That's it, right. It's about whoever creates the most pain. That's who's going to win this fight. Whoever creates the most pain. That's all I got to do. I got to be sure Absolutely. that I'm the one that creates the most pain. 
Absolutely. So um, they're, they're in the same situation as the big person. It's just who's going to create the most fans. You know what? It makes me yeah. think of the Princess Bride when um, Fezzik is fighting against Wesley, who's dressed up as the pirate. And obviously, if Andre the Giant has a is able to land a punch on you you won't yeah. remember that punch i guarantee it because he has mass he has mass yeah. behind his punch but the fact is every yeah. time he swung the guy was able to duck under it and so yeah. that is something i have found that i am a little bit able to duck under things a little bit better but can you come up with a scenario let's say that you do have a large person on their feet let's say you know, someone about six feet tall, that's not, you know, straining credulity, credulity on that. And someone about my size, about five, five, two. Um, and that person does advance on the smaller person. What are some things the smaller person would want to keep in mind? Uh, you're definitely looking at the fact that a smaller person, like you just said, is going to be faster. You have a lot more yep. speed. So uh, you cannot let somebody grab you. The whole concept there right. is going to be about control. And this person wants to grab you and you're petite, you're tiny. They want to be able to hold you. And that's going to be their biggest mistake. And that's your opportunity to start pinching, start twisting, start punching, doing whatever it is you need. In a real life situation, I'm not going to eliminate you from doing eye gouges, ripping off someone's ear, doing whatever right. you need to do to get away from that grass. Right. Because once you're away from that grass, you're able to run away. And that's the whole thing. You've right. you got to get away. And and we have to stop and think about, well, I just need to survive this situation. Well, surviving isn't enough because you can still be right. in a hospital in a hospital bed and be a vegetable. That's still surviving, mm -hmm. but that's not how we would right. want to live. So we have to go beyond right. surviving. And so being able to get away is very important. Right. Something I have been asked to, oh, you know, if you if a guy, you know, would attack you in a parking lot, you know, do you think you could beat him up? Well, here's my answer to that. It wouldn't be a beat up situation. I would not engage in a fight. If somebody attacks me in a parking lot, I'm not going to stand up and go toe to toe with them. I'm going to get away. You want to do whatever Absolutely. it takes to get away. And, and that's exactly what you taught me. Yeah, it may take a good hard yeah. throat punch. It may take a gouge to the eye. And I think especially, I, I think all humans, it's not a natural state to be hurting another human. I'm actually reading a book on that right now. But women... Yeah. Um, you know, if a man is aggressive, he's being a man. But if a woman is aggressive, you know, they call her something else. But you yeah. do. You want to attack those soft spots. You want to go for eyes. You want to go for throat. You don't want to get yeah. in a fist fight. You want to absolutely get away without question. That's right. your goal. Yeah. Okay. Let's and look you know, at it's some... like even if you, can, if you can verbally command someone to stay away. And that's that's right. You know, this is why a lot of times. Police officers, they, they give you the commands, you know, put your hands behind your back, put the weapon down, turn around, get on your knees. And they're, they're very, very verbal. They tell you before they have to get physical. They don't want to get physical either. It turns into that sometimes. And, and they're human. And so they lose control and they try to, try to hurt the individual. And then it comes back on them and then people get mad at them. And it's like, well, I'm human. We, we tend to forget that they also have feelings and emotions. And they are going to lose control sometimes. And so if right. we can, before even the confrontation, before we even get um touched if we can see them and recognize it immediately once again we're looking at awareness if you're aware of your surroundings you can stop the attack you don't have to beat somebody down it's not what it's about no. it's not about being able to i'm going to learn how to punch somebody because i want to hit somebody no we don't we don't right. want to hit nobody no, it, hurts. it hurts it hurts it hurts you your hand's gonna hurt so that's right i don't want to hurt i want to stay away from pain 
That's right. You know what? That brings up a good point. Um, people ask me, well, you know, what martial art do you think I should do? And, you know, I've said, if you're a writer, maybe you don't want to be in a martial art that does involve a lot of punching unless you're good at wrapping your hands. If you can wrap your hands and protect those bones, mm -hmm. that's one thing. But let's yeah. say that you do have a character in your story that is a writer and they want to protect their hands. What are some fight strategies for them? Well, then we start looking at other styles. Um, there's a style that came out of prison. And I know it's like, wow, well, but you would be surprised. You know, these guys yeah. have free time. They have all the time in the world, right? And so they come up with just right. about everything. And there is a style that says nothing but elbows. You use nothing but elbow strikes, forward, upward, diagonal. Right. And uh, you'll see a lot of these guys that come out of prison and they've learned this system. And it's not necessarily a system that you're going to go and find at an academy because those individuals <laughs> aren't the ones that, you know, people are going to trust and go, oh, yeah, you've been in prison. Yeah, I want to yeah. spend time with you. I want, I want to look up to you as a yeah. mentor. Yeah, I'm a yellow so belt in prison style. Styles. I don't think so, yeah. So, but, but you will find them, like, at parks, and you'll see, like, a group of people getting together, and they're studying, and they're, they're sharing what they learned in prison. And, and that's more or less where you're going to find that title of style. Uh, you know, we, I always get that question, too, what, what's the best martial art? And it really just comes down into what your character is going to, where, where is he going to be? Is he fighting right. in the jungle? Well, if he's fighting the jungle, right. then he needs to learn some sword play, you know, or he needs to learn That's how to right. set up traps and, and things like such. Uh, if he, right. Is he like in a bad, uh, does, is he growing up in a bad uh, part of town where everybody's getting shot left and right? Well, this guy better learn how to shoot a gun then, you know, he, he better be proficient right. in that. Or is it like, let's say it's close to the border of Mexico and there's a lot of machete fighting. Well, you need to learn an art that's going to teach you machete fighting or knife fighting. So it really depends on, on where you're going to be, where your uh, you know, character is going to be fighting. Uh, if it's street bars, then he needs to learn how to use pool sticks, and he needs to learn how to use how to break a bottle and use a bottle. So it's really just going to depend. And you're not going to find an academy that's going to, you know, okay, this is all we teach is how to break bottles and fight with bottles. But it's sure that something <laughs> can be brought up. How, how do I learn how to fight against somebody that has a broken bottle? And so, right. Uh, you know, we learn in like in Bahalana. Uh, Bahalana is a Filipino martial arts system that we uh, offer at my academy. And um, it doesn't matter whether it's a 40-inch weapon, a 28-inch weapon, a 24-inch weapon, or if it's a dagger, right. or if it's empty hand. It's still the same art. It doesn't same matter concept. what you yeah. can get with me. It's the same concept. I can do the same moves. And so right. once you learn something, you don't want it to just be for that. Well, if somebody throws a right punch, this is what I should do. In reality, it's probably going to go out the window when somebody does throw that punch at you. You're going to forget everything that's ever been taught to you. And you're, the whole idea, though, is to move. Just do something. Get out of the way of the punch, whether it's a parry, upward block, side block, whatever. Just get out of the way of the uh, coming object and uh, survive that. And then if you have to fight back, then fight back. But if you don't have to fight right. back, then you step away. You, you tell them, look, dude, we don't want to fight. I don't want to fight you. I'm scared. Please walk away. And it's okay to be scared. It's what keeps us alive. Yes, absolutely. So, so it's okay to be that. You know, I mean, sometimes men are like, oh, I wasn't scared. Man, you were scared, but it's okay. Whatever. Yeah. So, You're supposed to be scared. Yes. You know, yes. you. Know, you brought up um, weaponry, and that, that's another thing. Well, first of all, let me jump back to the fighting style. If you have picked a fighting style for your character and you think, okay, I, I want them to do kung fu, and you go look at kung fu on YouTube, if you have a problem describing those moves, if it is not in, in your um, 
ability to write those moves, then then maybe, first of all, maybe you're being a little bit too complicated with the words you're using, or maybe you need to try something that's a little bit more simple. But you definitely don't want to use words that are peculiar to that particular martial art. You know, if you have two people fighting in a bar and you say that somebody, you know, threw the other down, got him in case of Gatami and... You, People aren't going to know what a case of Gatami is. Heck, I'm in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I don't know half the thing. I don't know half the <laughs> words for stuff. So you can't, you know, you can't yeah. use words that are peculiar to a particular uh, martial art. You mentioned weaponry, yeah, you and know, quite often, go ahead. the The naming uh, of certain positions and things is is really more going to be more of a of a hidden language from academy to academy. It also gives me an yeah. opportunity for me to sit here and say, "Hey, show me case of Gatami." And you go, oh, yeah, I remember what that is because you've associated the position with the name right. from your instructor. So right. even though, uh, like, Keisa Gatami is known as Keisa Gatami in wrestling, it's known as a scarf hold um, in a uh, 10th planet system. It's known as judo side control. So right. the name is just going to be to be associated with that position. And you're absolutely right. We, you know, we have an, an Americana that's also known as a V-lock. It's also, also known right. as a key lock. Some people call it a right. brush. And if I'm at a tournament, and, and I know this has nothing to do with real fighting, but if, well, tournaments do have something to do with real fighting, but we can talk about yeah. that later. But let's say we're at a tournament, yeah. and, and I'm your coach, and I'm standing here, and I say, hey, do the Americana. And that's the same thing that the other academy's instructor calls it. Now that individual knows, oh, he's going to try to go for that, you know, right. And so I, I need to defend that. So if I call it right. something different, and I go, hey, paintbrush, and he doesn't know it by paintbrush, and then you go for right. that submission and you catch it because he didn't know how to defend it in time. And this is why you're going to have different, it's more like the story of Babylon, right? We had a whole bunch of different languages right. so that we could communicate with each other right. and have concepts. Right. So that's why you would have naming of things. But when it comes down to like, if you're describing this in a story and it's on, on pen and paper and you want somebody reading it and being able to follow, then you're painting by numbers. You have to describe mm -hmm. to them, okay, right hand is going to go to a 45 degree angle here and there and this and that. And so it just depends on how involved you want to get, how much of a picture you want to paint for them. Right. If your reader has to know how to fight in order to understand your fight scene, then you're no longer serving the story. I think at that point, you're just kind of showing off, hey, look how much I know. But if you've lost your reader, <laughs> you've lost that battle. It's gone. You've and you, it's it. hard yeah. to get a reader back. You know, mentioning tournaments, uh, tournaments. Uh, kind of brings me to question number 10, because it reminds me of the absolute division in jujitsu. Scott Walker, how far, has asked, how far is it reasonable to fight up? I mean, in movies, you constantly come across the super trained 90 pound girl. Why are they always picking on small women taking out the 250, <laughs> five, 250 pound bodyguard? I find that unbelievable. Okay. And I think you explained that earlier. It all comes down to training. It does. It definitely comes down to training, but it also comes down to knowing that the body will not accept any punishment. That's right. Um, you know, we do have we do have the absolute divisions to where um, you just sign up for it. And you go, okay, I'll, I'll compete in it. And you might be 100 pounds, and the heaviest guy in the division might be 280 pounds. And it comes to where, and we've seen a lot of matches to where the little guy still wins. And yes. It, it, you know, but once again, those those benefits of being a smaller target. Uh, right. We have a little guy that comes and competes. Uh, we have the tournament at our, at our academy once a month. And we have a small guy from El Paso that comes out and um, he competes. And he's, man, I don't want to call him a midget, but he's a dwarf. He, he's short. He's like four foot six. So I don't know what the... Uh -huh. uh, 
where the law says whether he's, he is what he is. He's a small guy, and he weighs 130 pounds, and he just competed up against 190-pounders. He entered the division. We told him, man, these are 190-pounders. He was like, I don't care. So he, the guys come in, and we had, we had some tough opponents for him. And the thing is, is that because his arms are so much shorter, it was hard for these guys to catch him in an yeah. arm bar. Because by the time right. they try to wrap their legs around, you know, they're, they're gusset around his shoulder, his elbows are already halfway out. And so those are right. other benefits that a smaller person is going to have. But at the same time, he'd turn around and he would submit some of these guys uh, because right. he's able to pull on a tighter arm bar or a leg lock because his bodies are, are, are so much shorter. So, right. again, yeah, we could sit here and look and go, okay, the larger guy, the 280-pound guy is going to punch a 90-pound woman. He's going to punch a hole through her. If he can reach her, if she's within range, right. yeah, that was her mistake. But if she knows right. I need to stay arm's length away and I got to determine right. how long his arm is and what his reach is, he's not going to hit right. me. And all it's going to take right. is me to slap him once and I'm going to embarrass him. And everyone's right. going to laugh at him and yada, yada. If nobody's there to watch, then you know what? I still hurt him. And he's going to stop and go, wow, she's not going to go down without a fight. Right. And that is something that fighters, um, they do when they talk about sizing each other up, you literally do look at their arms and you can kind of guesstimate, okay, if I'm standing here, I call it zone one, I can be punched here. And if I'm in zone two, well, I can be kicked here. And you either need to be outside of zone two or on the inside of zone, zone one. But if, mm -hmm. if you are experienced mm -hmm. in fighting, you can look at somebody and kind of guess how far, gauge how far away you can be. So it's like you said, it all comes down to training. And in jujitsu, you will hear people say, I got to play the small man's game. And there is something oh, yeah. they call the small man's game. And it is what the smaller mm -hmm. person generally does to get away. Explain a little bit about the small man's game, because I have to, that is my game. That's my only game. I never get yeah. to play the big yeah. man's game. Not yet. You will. Look at Jackie. My wife, Jackie, she's five foot one, 110, 115 pounds. Mm -hmm. And people mm -hmm. will say, man, you feel like you weigh 300 pounds. How, how do you do that? And it's just the understanding of yes. how to play the big man That's game. right. And eventually you will learn it. You will learn how to apply the pressure. That's true. She is like a dump truck. I called mm -hmm. her dump truck for the longest time. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not talking about the way you're built, Jackie. When you, right, when she bull, right. she kind of bulldozes you onto your side and she does feel very heavy. Yeah. But the small man's game, you are able to wiggle away from people because a bigger person, Definitely. when they wrap Absolutely. their arms around you, especially if they're thick <laughs> muscular, they leave all kinds of uh -huh. holes for you to kind of slip out of. Definitely. Okay. Uh, Serena Dawson, <laughs> I would like to know something about a mounted swordsman versus an unhorsed swordsman or spearman. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, uh, my, so go we're ahead. looking at, at different levels. We're looking at different levels. So this is known as terrain right. fighting. So one person is right. above and one person is below. The person mm -hmm. that is below, from what I have learned, is going to have the advantage. Exactly. Star Wars is wrong. When they are fighting and <laughs> Obi-Wan says, give up, I have the high ground. Not, they even proved on Mythbusters, the high ground is not the better when you're terrain not. fighting. Yeah, melee, hand-to-hand yeah. -hand style. I'm not talking about battles. I'm talking about hand-to-hand. -hand. Keep going. Yes. Um, so so a, a mounted swordsman mm -hmm, versus a, a grounded swordsman. Um, the mounted swordsman, how, how he can come down to level but he can't go any higher. The person right. that's on the ground obviously can reach up. And then we're also looking at, you know, what does this mounted person have? Is he working with a spear? Right. Is it, is it a, uh, uh, what type of a sword is it? Um, once right. again, I mean, there's so many variables. 
but the uh, one on the uh, with the lower terrain usually has the upper hand. Uh, Leo Hiron, which is the founder of Bahalana, the Bahalana organization, he actually fought in World War and he fought in the Philippines, and he also wanted to have, and he's written a couple books. So again, his name is Leo Hiron, uh, G-I-R-O-N. But uh, he he talks a lot about having the lower ground and, and wanting to use the off terrain to his advantage. So because of those studies, uh, obviously he, he was in war and he survived, came back, uh, and then he started teaching his system to others. And this is what you know one of the offer or one of the classes that we offer at my academy. So um, because of those studies uh, and the fact that he lived through it, it gives me a lot of belief in the fact that what he says is gold. So I would definitely say that the person on, in the uh, lower, you know, the lower ground is going to have the advantage. Right. And also, if, if you do have that scenario and you have a person on horseback, you need to be aware it, they're likely going to need a weapon. They can handle with one hand. Yes, I suppose you could swing yeah. a double-handed sword, but you're going to throw your own body <laughs> off balance off the horse. So you don't need to have a huge two-handed broadsword. You're you going to need to have I, I would like a single... To, I would like to say that the, the horse itself is the weapon yes, that they should be using. that's right. You know, trying to, I mean, if you stood next to a horse, oh my God, those things are amazing. The the muscular, you know, arms and shoulders and their height. Right. The, oh, the horses are scary. So um, right. I would like to see more of, uh, you know, the horse did the killing. That's my weapon. You know, the, the guy yeah. that's mounted, yeah, he's going to have a sword in his hands or, or whatever, but the horse should be, you should train your horse to stomp on people and, and kill people. That's and you right. You shouldn't have to be swinging your sword at all. So Right. And something you taught in self-defense is always deal with the biggest threat first. And I see that horse is the biggest threat. If I'm the person on the oh, ground, yeah. I'm going to grab yeah. anything I can and swing it at the horse's legs. I'm going to try to take the horse <laughs> yeah. down. Not only are you going to injure the horse, but you're going to throw the rider off the top. And if he he's not going to yeah. land in now a comfortable position. Yeah. yeah. Now it's on level playing field. Might get hurt. Now yep. it's on level playing field. So. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely. I'd be taking that horse out. Um, Karen Stifle <laughs> did ask about elbows. She wants to know how likely it is when you do an elbow strike to break your elbow. Elbow strikes are devastating. They people. I don't think people know that when you hit somebody on the face, especially if it's on the forehead or on the scalp of your elbow, you will split their skin open. In MMA, when you see people get their their scalps and all that split open, man, it's probably from a devastating elbow. How likely are you to Definitely. actually break your elbow if you hit a human? I'm not talking about hitting a wall, but if you hit a human, how likely <laughs> are you to break your elbow? Um, I'm going to say it's not likely. Um, no. I'm going to say it never happens. But yeah. uh, you have the uh, humerus bone that's supporting the elbow and whatever type of a right. forward motion you're giving. Um, but right. we still got to keep in mind, is your elbow going to be bruised? He, probably. Yeah, it's probably going to be hurt yeah. the next day, and you, maybe for the next week. Right. Because once again, like I said, it hurts to fight on both ends. Regardless of whether yes. you win or lose, it's going to hurt. You punch something right. with any part of your body. I kick you with my shin bone. My shin bone is going to be a little tender the next day. It's just how it is. Yeah, it will The body, be. <laughs> just, once again, does not like to be, it doesn't no. like to be abused. So, No. Yeah. Um, people ask, often ask, too, do you feel hits when you're in a fight? Explain that whole concept of what you do feel and what you don't feel when you're in the ring. No, you're not going to feel uh, uh, getting hit immediately. If you're able to, like, step back and go, oh, man, this guy just hit me. Yeah, you're going to feel that. Uh, it's the same with uh, knife fighting. You're not going to feel the knife fight. Um, 
I've been cut once in a situation. I wouldn't call it a fight. It was the beginning of a fight, but I turned around and ran away and didn't realize I was cut until I looked at my chest. My shirt was all bloody. Um, right. My father wasn't a, wasn't a nice fight. Uh, he didn't have a knife. The other guy did. He didn't know he had a fight, and the guy swung at him, and my father turned around and punched him, and the guy took off running. And so my father went back in to the facility, and they're like, Richard, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, why? And they're like, you're bleeding. And he's like, no, it's not my blood collapsed and hit the floor and they rushed into the hospital. It cut him across the neck, cut his chest and cut his thumb and he didn't feel it at all. So I yeah. talked to him about it. My father's no longer with us, but I had talked to him about it and uh, he told me yeah, I, didn't, I didn't feel it. I, I didn't know it was me. I thought it was his blood. So um, right. the thing that happens is that the body takes over and it starts to go into um, uh, a different type of a mode and it's, it's, you know, a fight or flight type thing to where your body is going to get ready for whatever's happening. So it's right. not likely, you know, the cage fighting that I did, I, I don't remember any of the punches. I know I got cut in the first fight. Uh, the doctor told me, you got to protect that side of your face. I'm going to stop the fight. And so I did. I ended up winning the fight. I lost my second fight. I got what I would call a, um, what do you call it? Like a flash knockout. I hit the ground. By the time I hit the ground, I was awake. And the referee was already pulling the other guy off of me, even though I was fighting back. And then the referee apologized right. to me. He said, I'm sorry. I think I stopped the fight too soon. I was like, it's okay, man. I'm a, I'm a good sport. It's no big deal. Um, my right. last fight, which was my fourth fight, and the reason it was my fourth fight is because I broke my nose in the first round, and I was bleeding all over myself. But it, badly. The broke it, it badly. It was bad. It, it, I had to have mm-hmm. two surgeries on it to get it fixed. So, and they told me, if you fight again and break it, when I'm going to fix it a third time, you'll be like Michael Jackson and have to put it on every morning. So, I was like, oh okay, no, no worries. I'm going to fight no more. <laughs> so, if you see me in the street, that's all you got to do is just punch me in the nose, and I'll be done. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, but uh, um, you're not going to. I'll feel, bear that in mind. Uh, you know, your dre- the adrenaline kicks in, and um, right. the body is just amazing. You know, we hear stories about, you know, car wrecks, and, and then the, the mother like gets out of the car and realizes her baby's still in this burning car, and she goes up to the car and flips the car and takes the kid out. It's like, how did she do that? We're capable of doing a lot of things that we don't understand, and, and we don't know where right. our limits are sometimes, and but we do right. limit ourselves. You know, it's just how we are. Society, I guess, I don't know. But right. uh, you will not, you do not feel the punches until, you know, you're able to gather your thoughts and go, wow, this guy just punched me. But in a until real situation, the adrenaline like, you a fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If the adrenaline's over, then, yeah, you know, you're going to start feeling everything. Um, yeah. But like we talked about, a fight shouldn't be but maybe three seconds, four seconds long. So the thing is, is that I don't just throw one punch. It's going to be a punch after punch after punch after punch. And so within maybe those three seconds, I hit you maybe five, six, seven times, maybe more. And if you're not defending any of them and and I'm hitting them all, then okay, yeah, you know. But you do have that opportunity to block that punch that's coming in and then start fighting back. But if you just throw one punch, he's going to collect his thoughts and throw another punch. And then you're blocking another punch. So if you are able to get the uh, position, the upper hand to be the aggressor, you need to maintain that. You cannot lose the, the aggressor position. Right. It doesn't need to be just a single punch. It needs to be an entire conversation of punches again and again and yeah. again. Or you're right. That person will have a second to kind of gather their, you know, their senses together yeah. and think, okay, I need to defend myself. Okay. We are almost out of time. We've only got like five minutes left. Uh-huh. Good grief. Okay. Yeah. It is a tradition on the show to end with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. I got some rapid fire questions. I don't okay. Know. Yeah, well, okay, folks, we quote movies back and forth to each other quite a bit. And so I've got some movie quotes for you. You tell me what movies these are from. Number one, how much can can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? 
Fight Club. Yeah, absolutely. You know every word of that. Okay, number two. El, El Guapo only kills men. Say it again. El Guapo only kills men. Three amigos. <laughs> okay, this one, I, I didn't know this one. All right, you got to be a moron to want to be a fighter. You got to be a moron to want to be a fighter. Yeah, I don't know that yeah, one. Yeah, you got Rocky, that was in Rocky. That was Rocky? Ah. Yeah. All right, finish this quote. Okay. Uh, yeah, you got to want to wanna be a fighter. Okay, finish this quote. Everybody's got a plan until they... <laughs> until they get hit? Heavy hit in the face, yeah. <laughs> Mike Tyson said that. He's actually a really smart man. Okay, yeah. All right, here's one from Bruce Lee. And you've said this in class. I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man who has practiced. That is an oldie one. Uh, the man mm -hmm. who has practiced one kick a thousand times. 10,000 times. That's right. Last but not 10, least, and this times. is the question, 10,000 times. This is the question I always end the geek block with. Worse superpower, okay. superhuman strength only when dressed as a woman, or the ability to stop crime only by spraying people like a skunk? Which one's worse? Yeah. <laughs> is that what you're asking me? Which one's worse? That's what I'm asking. I, Which I'm... one's worse? <laughs> Eddie, you would not be a good-looking woman. I have said, I have I, said, you have care. pretty legs, but you would not be a I'll pretty woman. <laughs> uh, I would not want to spray people as a skunk either, though. So Me neither. I'd rather dress up as a woman. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That is it for the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Maybe You're I welcome. can finagle you to come back on another time. Definitely not a problem. I would love to. All right. All right. Thank you. You may go about your day. Thank you, coach. I All will right, see you later. I better see you tomorrow. It would be nice if you just slip in tomorrow. All right. All right. See I'll you do at the that. gym. Very good. All right. Goodbye. That's it for the geek block for uh, folks. Be sure to check out my blog at fightright.net. If you'd like me to edit your fight scene, you can contact me through Quill Pen Editorial. And until our next show, God bless and stay weird. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.